Today we're going to be talking about the importance of connecting with other women during menopause and after menopause and why it's important for both our mental and physical well-being. You're listening to Life After Menopause. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with a really special guest, Dr. Ivana Matic-Stansin. Welcome, Ivana. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. I've actually been really looking forward to talking to you because you're a perimenopausal health specialist and you offer a wide range of services and support to women going through this often unpleasant experience, shall we say, but it's a natural thing as well. But you see patients from around all sorts of things because I'm not saying this very well. You want the journey and the support you give to be a more holistic experience as opposed to treating the symptoms and dealing with things one at a time. So tell me a little bit about yourself. And this is possibly the worst introduction I've ever done on a podcast. So I do apologize. My mind just went off a million different tangents. Do I want to go with? First of all, tell me why you're so interested in perimenopause and how you support people because it is different to the normal GP stuff. So, yeah, let's start with that. <laughs> okay. Actually, Karen, I think I understand why it was it was difficult for you to explain because it's actually uh, sometimes difficult for me to explain what I'm doing. I'm actually, in one sentence, trying to really approach perimenopausal health and help women from all possible angles because we are such a complex creatures. We humans are very complex beings. And traditional medicine is very simplistic, unfortunately, still looking very simplistically as at human body. You know, you have a heart problem, you go to cardiologist, you have um, a period problem, you go to gynecologist and so on. So being a GP, it gives me position to be holistic in the first place because I see people for general issues. But then when it comes to perimenopausal health, it's actually very interesting because I think it's a summit of what's happening in our lives. Everything that's going on through our life is actually peaking at that stage in our lives when we are in our 40s and our 50s, when these hormones start naturally changing the way how they are cycling, like each month. And that's all causing lots of interesting processes and situations in our body the physiology of human body going through perimenopause is very interesting it's actually some people say it's a mirror image of what's going on in a puberty but it's much more complex than that because in puberty we don't have so many past stories and when you go to menopause you actually have this similar hormonal situation but you also have accumulative stress and accumulative trauma and accumulative all sorts of things that makes the whole transition even more complex. So <laughs> I tried to do it in one sentence, but it was very long. <laughs> so I understand why it's hard for you to explain what I'm doing because I started offering menopause, perimenopausal clinic appointments in my clinic where I work as a GP. And that was one-on-one. -on -one. Then I realized 15 minutes model is just not going to do it at all. 
so I made them one hour appointments and I thought, yes, I can do it now well. But then I realized even one hour appointment is just one facet of the whole thing because I'm a clinician sitting in the clinic talking to women and that's great. You know, we have one hour. I can take really good history. I can do lots of examination. I can order lots of tests and we can talk about possible options, how to alleviate symptoms and how to actually transition healthier on the other side. What are the health risks? What we need to tackle, what we need to do. But then I realized that actually, as I said, because we are so complex, lots of women actually need help around lifestyle changes when they transition through perimenopause, because very often we accumulated so many unhelpful uh, lifestyle coping mechanisms. And then I realized, okay, I can't do it in the clinical setting. So I actually started uh, doing uh, online health um, lifestyle coaching, therapy counseling sort of uh, help when I'm actually talking to my patients about this, this aspect. So I'm not clinician. I'm not thinking, are they doing their pep smears? Are their mammograms up to date? What's going on with the hormone replacement and these sort of things? We are talking about lifestyle, mostly about stress management and also uh, sleep, eating, exercise, meaning, having a purpose in life, so many pillars of lifestyle. So you see, I'm also not really good at explaining what I'm doing because it's very complex. But then I, I realized, you know, I need, to, I need to offer a few different services so we can actually uh, tackle this huge transition in our life more effectively. And we can actually come on the other side of that bridge healthier and wiser and happier. And I think we can. It's really interesting you say that, and I think this is why I struggled at the start. You're quite right, because normally I'll talk to a doctor, a gynecologist, or I'll talk to a health coach or a dietitian or a nutritional or something, but you kind of, you try to bring everything into the one setting to look at a person's life as opposed to a person's symptoms. Is that a fair description? Mm -hmm. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. Yes. Because we have lives. We don't have symptoms. We are human beings. That's such a great way of looking at it because that puts everything into a completely different perspective. Because when we have a symptom, what we focus on is the symptom. We don't necessarily focus on, okay, let's have a look at the whole of my life, why is it I'm not sleeping now? Why am I waking up six times a night dripping in sweat? Why am I just like furious all the time? Yeah, all of those things. And we try to treat those issues as opposed to, and, but that's medicine, isn't it? But and, and that's not just medicine when I think about it. Everything is, is like an individual thing as opposed to, no, it's all of it. It's a medical model and it's society that, that keeps telling us for centuries, you know, that's how we need to look at our bodies. And that's not true. Yeah, and ourselves as individuals. like It's almost like what you do is what a community would have done 100 years ago. And it's going back towards the more community model 
even though you're doing everything, as opposed to the individualistic model. Is that a fair way of putting that? Yeah, I think it's very interesting how you put it. I, I like how you put it together. I, I was never thinking of that that way before, but that makes total sense what you're saying because we lost that community, generally speaking, especially in developed world. We lost that uh, sense of community and belonging. And scientists are talking that nowadays loneliness is new smoking when it comes to health risk because we are very lonely individuals. We lost sense of community cohesion. So what your bigger community would do before, probably your aunties, your your grandmothers or some neighbors, we don't have that anymore. So I'm trying to offer that in a professional way. <laughs> In that setting, that's my online uh, sort of uh, health coaching that I'm offering to women. But I'm also trying not to lose that professional part of the whole story when, when, you know, that's why I actually separated these two businesses totally, because when I'm seeing women in a clinical setting, I know that, you know, I really need to take care of all the, all the aspects of their life that I as a clinician need to, to check and make sure they are fine. So talk to me about those two different settings. So one side of it is you as a GP and the other side of it is you as a holistic coach, is it? Yes, because coaching is something that I actually did some education in coaching in the last year when I decided to actually approach that from that angle. And I actually realized how much we need coaching approach, even in a traditional medicine, how especially in primary care, GPs would actually benefit from some coaching experience because that's something that you are actually, when you are talking to patients, you are using that model when you know that the person know the answers, the person know what to do. So you are not really clinicians standing here and the person is there and you're just telling them what to do. It's very, I would say, even outdated model, that old model, how we are actually talking to people because the world has developed and people don't want to be treated that way when somebody is telling them what to do. So I think coaching approach is something that is probably and possibly going to be introduced in a future uh, education in a medical uh, world. So students and doctors will need to get some training in coaching. So I'm not saying all doctors need to become coaches, but some sort of knowledge how to actually to talk to people to get some results out of the person. You're actually uh, giving back some sort of uh, autonomy to the person you are talking to because bodies... Our bodies have a, a very divine way of trying to find the balance and to rebalance everything that's not right. So if the body starts developing some sort of disease, the body has a tendency to actually heal and cure itself. It's called homeostasis in medicine. So it's well known. It's nothing new that I'm telling you now. But based on that principle, you actually, when you are talking to a person and including the person in decision making, in understanding what's going on, in telling them, explaining them what's actually happening in their bodies at that point in time, in menopause, let's say, you're actually empowering individual to start doing something and taking the power of changing their behavior in a certain way to help that body to find that balance back 
so that's why I started doing that in a separate sort of business because it's very hard to incorporate and fully embrace the coaching approach in a clinical setting. You can do bits of that, and that's what I'm doing as well in my clinical setting. But to really embrace the fully uh, that coaching approach, I started totally separate online consultations. Was there one particular thing that recurred over and over again that made you want to do this? Okay, that's a very good question. The recurring thing is that when you start talking to people about their symptoms, we are talking about perimenopause, let's talk about that. So when you start talking about perimenopausal symptoms, and lots of women have quite severe perimenopausal symptoms, when I take their history, I talk to them about their symptoms, they tell me what they're experiencing, and then I start talking to them about their lifestyle, the way how they're eating, what they're eating, are they exercising? sleep, how they sleep, do they take care of their sleep, do they understand how important the sleep is, and stress, stress management. That's reoccurring theme is that when I touch on that, that's such a rich and big area that really needs a lot of time spending around that. And lots of women would not even identify in this questioning a stress. If you if you ask somebody what is your major stress, lots of women wouldn't really identify the stress, the stressor. But during these conversations, I could actually pick up that there are lots of underlying stress or past stress or past trauma or something that even the woman is not really acknowledging as important and not taking that into the whole picture. And for me, this is a big part of the symptomatology of the severity of the symptoms, duration of the symptoms, and the presence of the symptoms. And before we actually uh, start establishing this healthy understanding of our way of living, our lives, and understanding, acknowledging what is my stress, what emotions I'm actually experiencing, how I'm dealing with these emotions, we can't really address anything else. We can, but it's like putting the band-aids on the wound that's there and not really healed properly. So the major big part, the recurring theme, is the stress. And not only current stress, it's accumulative stress through the whole life that very often has been postponed and not dealt properly at different stages of our lives because of the busy lives that we women have. Lots of us start families, have children, raise children, have our careers, have husbands, have aging parents. I mean, back then, like 20 years ago, they were not that aging, <laughs> but now they're aging. So there are so many things, you know, that we actually don't even think are the stress. And stress is like accumulative. If I can think of one metaphor, how to explain to you why it's why is that accumulative stress through the whole life? It's like a sun exposure. Lots of people, especially us who live here in this part of the world, Australia and New Zealand, know that sun exposure is accumulative. So it's about how much your skin accumulated um, this harmful UV rays is something that you actually pay later in life because you start having these uh, sunspots and sun cancers and stuff like that. So it's accumulative stuff. So the similar thing is with the stress. All the stressors that are happening through our life are accumulative. 
And that's why initially in the conversation I said, when we come to this crossroad of our hormonal health, when our hormones start doing a little bit of a, a wilder roller coaster ride, that's when this accumulative stress together with these hormonal changes can cause a chaos in some in some stories. What kind of I don't know, am I explaining this well? No, no, you are. That's great. I was just gonna ask you to expand a little bit on the kind of stresses that we don't see or recognize because there's got to be stuff because we can point at the obvious ones like childcare, you know raising the kids and even for me being a stay-at-home mother now I look back on it was a major stressor but I didn't perceive it as being a major stressor I'm not built to be a full-time mother I need to be out talking to people and I and I think looking back on it I didn't recognize that at all or I discounted it because other people didn't see that as being a stressor. Like I should be grateful for being able to be a stay-at-home mother. It shouldn't be a stressor. Do you know what I mean? How many things like that are causing this invisible level of stress for women? What what kind of things are they? Okay, I, I think I have two elements to this question. One is to answer to your real question, how much of that is really stress? And the second one that it's burning in my mind, and I want to say it first, is actually that societal message, you know, that, that traditional societal message that we actually are born into that message. So it's part of us. So it's coming from inside. Of We don't feel it. It's from outside. It's actually coming from inside. It's normal for me to do this and that and this and that and be able to handle everything. So we don't see that as a huge problem at all. And it is not a huge problem, but uh, we never really acknowledge that sometimes in some life stories, it can be too much. It can be really hard to endure for a long period of time. So one is just to be aware of that uh, strong societal message that we, I'm not saying we need to reject that, but we need to be aware that sometimes it's very harsh. And it's also not adaptable that societal message treat women always the same. And our hormonal health is changing. So when we are uh, pregnant, our hormonal health is different. So we need then to adjust our expectations differently, not to buy into that uniform message, you know, that woman needs to do this and this and this and this and this and that. So that's one aspect. And the other is what your question really was. <laughs> was how much of that stress is there and how much I'm actually not seeing or seeing. It's actually from the major stress that happened maybe 30 years ago that I didn't deal properly at that time and was just buried deep inside of me to everything, to the minor little stressors that now I have to commute like two hours to work every day, which is really draining my energy and I have to battle financial issues, you know, which are not great financial issues, but maybe, you know, my mortgage is too big now and I'm a single woman who is like in her 50s and I'm worrying, you know, am I being able to pay this mortgage back? So I'm just bringing bits and pieces but that's what accumulative stress is and lots of women when they come into their 40s and 50s they actually 
because of the nature of our lives that our children are growing and they are leaving the home. And now we are having a little bit less of this responsibility. So we actually don't need to keep going, 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 doing, 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 doing. We suddenly can actually reflect back and we need to change something in our lives. Plus the hormones are doing a little bit of this and that. That can cause some some changes in our we need to change something. We need to pause. We need to reflect. And that's so foreign to all of us living in this world that's so fast. And it's pushing us to keep doing, not only women, men as well, everyone. We just need to keep going and doing all the time. And just that concept of just slowing down and reflecting and finding the new way of being is so almost forbidden almost a sign of laziness, of some malfunction. You just describe in my life, I remember somebody saying to me, oh, you need to meditate every day. And I'm like, I can't, I fall asleep. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> yes, yes. It's so interesting, you know, because there is such a big power in meditation. But, and I remember like, like 10 years ago, when I started really uh, dealing, uh, thinking more holistically about the medicine, when I got so brave that I, I, I gave myself permission to be more holistic doctor, I started first experimenting with meditation and learning a lot about meditation. And I remember the horror on my patients' faces when I was talking about meditation. And now, thinking back 10 years back, I understand I was just telling them to bring another thing into their busy lives, which is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, but the power of mindfulness, I don't even call it meditation anymore. The power of mindfulness and just little reflection is incredibly important. I'll just give you a little secret. Before this conversation we had, because I just have a huge fear of public speaking myself. <laughs> so before this conversation, I actually did five minutes a little meditation or <laughs> on myself you know I was listening and I was just trying to calm my mind and to remind myself you know how to calm myself down how to use my parasympathetic nervous system which is calming me down and not my sympathetic nervous system which is making me very excited you know because when I'm very excited when I talk about something that I really am passionate about and love I get so excited that I become chaotic you know I lose the structure. As you can see, I start talking this and this and this and that all over the place. So power of mindfulness is really important to calm us down. I can't dismiss that. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think one of the big things, and, and I'm going to this for a reason, because it does kind of tie into with the meditation and the mindfulness stuff. I kind of resisted all that because I felt like I was the only woman in the entire history of the world who never felt this way and who needed to do this kind of thing and that there was quite obviously something wrong with me because I needed this stuff. <laughs> that was what was going through my mind. And how many, <laughs> is that a thing for a lot of people? Because I suspect it is. <laughs> So your question is, is that, that a lot of people feel that way? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, especially uh, uh, perimenopausal women, I'm just coming back to that cohort of, because 
I'm just repeating myself because of the physiology of our bodies, what's happening internally with hormonal changes and the stage of our life when when the situation is changing, perimenopausal women are really feeling overwhelmed very often. So one word is being overwhelmed. And then we start peddling and trying to find the new ways. And very often we are actually in this peddling situation, trying to save and rescue ourselves from this new, very, very unexpected situation. Very often we start using some band-aids in a lifestyle, what I mean lifestyle, in, in, a, in a behavior. We start drinking too much or we start eating wrong food at wrong time, wrong amount, not because we are hungry, we eat actually to suit all these anxieties, all this chaos that's happening, or we start working too much. We become obsessed with work or we stop, I can't say we stop sleeping, we can't stop sleeping, but actually the sleep is already challenged because of the hormonal changes. And then we get up and we say, oh, I don't need to sleep, you know, so you either go and work or you go and start exercising. And then some actually start exercising too much because that's their coping mechanism which can also stop them their bodies to actually rebalancing back to normal that's another reoccurring thing that i'm seeing in my practice women who are actually so much grabbing on this exercise as a coping mechanism that their body is going into a very high level of cortisol and they can't actually lose the calories, the, the fat, because we all gain a little bit of fat when we go through that, which is another big problem for women. But then they can't lose weight because they are exercising too much. And they can't understand that because they don't understand the physiology of human body. How would they understand? You know, no one taught them they are not medical doctors. There's so many interesting things happening in our bodies during that transition. And I find that actually explaining to women what's actually physiology of the human body in that 40s and 50s uh, time span is the first step for them to start grasping what's going on. And then when when we understand what's happening in the body on the hormonal level and our nervous system level, which hormones and nervous system is constantly talking, and the gut. Our guts, nervous system, and the hormones are like three facets of the same organ. So they constantly talk to each other. And when somebody, when my client or my patient start understanding the physiology of the the body, then that person is more open to actually re-examine her behavior in eating, sleeping, uh, exercising, stress management, which I call lifestyle pillars. And then she is more likely to actually be able to do something about that if she discovers that there are some points in that behaviors that need to be changed. And very often it does need to be. Because what's, for example, what served us when we were 20, let's let's use the drinking example, you know, alcohol. If I was able to drink two glasses or three glasses of wine with my friends when I was 20, very often because of the hormonal changes, I can't tolerate alcohol the same as before. That's pure physiology of my body going through menopause. So I'm not saying, you know, that I was alcoholic and I'm not alcoholic now, 
but I need to understand why I need to change. Because very often women would say, but I'm not alcoholic. I don't have a problem with alcohol. Why would I cut on that? That's why I think and, uh, explaining to women what's going on with the physiology of the body is the most important first step. And then the second step is actually to help them to change certain aspect of that behavior if they need to change and what they need to change. Sorry, I'm also very chaotic in my explanations. No, 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 you're not at all. It's, it's fantastic. You do a great job. Thank you. What it leaves me with is so many options as to where I can go next because I have so many questions, which is great. One of the things that came up for me as you were talking initially was that overwhelm seems to play a big part in this and it's almost like all the stresses in our lives have kind of built up and then you add perimenopause into the mix and and we all just go you know what can't cope with this don't know what to do can't take on anything else I'm just too overwhelmed with this whole thing so is is the overwhelm do you perceive that the overwhelm is the biggest issue in what you're doing and what was the other question what is the biggest impact that you see of perimenopause on people like and the stuff that we don't think about like if overwhelm is one of the biggest causes of increased symptoms in perimenopause what is the symptoms that we may not see as a result of that what are the the worst symptoms that we may not see as a result of that I think we see all the symptoms. That's not the problem. Women are very good at detecting the symptoms. But because of the overwhelming situation, I think the problem is that instead of actually slowing down and reviewing our lives and how we live lives, we actually go into that mode of finding another way of actually moving forward and not really finding the solution to alleviate the symptoms and to just transition to another stage. Because that another stage, the society tells us is horrible. It's old age, close to death. It's suffering. It's being ugly. It's being fat. It's not being feminine anymore. It's not being able to work. It's not being sexually attractive. It's not being able to enjoy sex. It's just not being who we were born into the body to be. And all our lives we've been doing this thought. We are feminine creatures. We are females. I'm, I need to say I'm talking about heterosexual women now. But of course, that's very similar in homosexual situations. And I'm not stigmatizing the population at all. I'm just talking about stereotypical women born in a woman body who is thinking that way. That's what society is. Talking about societal mm. message all the time. <laughs> we need to actually slow down and review what society is telling us, what we want to keep doing, and what we need to change doing to live full and happy lives. Because if I'm... 50 plus and I stopped having my periods and my body cannot tolerate alcohol anymore the same as before and I probably need to eat a little bit different 
I'm not saying not enjoying food, but I need to maybe be more mindful how I'm feeding this body because this body is not tolerating anymore the junk food, the plastic food that's everywhere and that we are all eating more or less. Doesn't mean that because I need to make all these adjustments, I'm not the same person that's feminine, that can be sexual, that can enjoy sexual life, that... So it's it's also not true. But the society is giving us that message all the time. And that's why we freak out. We totally freak out. We are so disorientated and overwhelmed, then we want to cover up. So we go and run and do more other things that are actually harming us more. So I don't know, did I answer the question? But that's the overwhelm thing. I hadn't even considered that fully as an actual stressor like I'm aware of that but I hadn't considered the impact of that knowledge on our resistance to going through menopause and uh, and the stress that it adds to looking at a future where according to most of society we are now redundant our useful life is over but that must be a huge stressor is it do you see that as a big factor in people I think it is a big factor. What do you think? I think it's a huge factor. I mean, you just said you you didn't think about that, but what do you think about that now when you had <laughs> We need to prove ourselves even more. So we we start we try we need to prove ourselves even more so we, we actually start running harder. Yeah, it's really fascinating because I had I, I kinda knew that and being a little misdefiant a lot of the time. I then proceeded to pretend that none of this mattered, that it wasn't going to have an impact on my life. It wasn't going to have an impact on me physically. I was still going to be able to exercise like I wanted and eat all the carbohydrates, which I can't. I've learned the hard way. And I suppose the psychological thing of not being able to rely on what has worked for me in the past to get me through my life, I now have to change that. And a lot of this is not understanding who we can be in the next stage of our lives and having no clear point to transition through. And that seems to be the angle that you're coming from a little bit, is it? Yes, and thank you for summarizing that very nicely and concisely for me. (laughs) You are more than welcome. It's time for us to start wrapping up in a minute. Tell people about what services it is you provide and how they can get in touch with you. I work in a GP clinic in Braybrook in Melbourne. It's called Maxwell Medical Group. And I offer their one-on-one consultation, one-hour consultation for perimenopausal health. I also run something called shared medical appointments in that clinic which is actually a group of women and I as a facilitator, and we actually talk about perimenopause. So we can actually talk about symptoms, something very similar to what we are doing here now, but we are actually in a group situation, which I find very, very useful because it's lots of destigmatization, normalization, and understanding of actually what's going on, not thinking I'm the only one that's going through this and I'm crazy and I'm losing the whole thing. And the third service I offer is online consultation, which is mostly coaching about uh, understanding, again, of our perimenopausal health and 
helping women to find a way to actually change some uh, behaviors that some of us get really stuck at. And we know we need to change, but then we don't know how. So that's something that I'm doing in that uh, online um, space. That's called drivana.com. And they can find me there on the website. And there is a link so they can book the first free consultation with me. Fantastic. Thank you. I actually think the group appointments are a genius idea because I think a lot of us go into perimenopause thinking that we're the only ones who feel this way. And just having, and it seemed to me looking at everybody else, everybody else had their entire lives handled and there was only me whose life was falling apart. So it would be Mm. great to sit Mm. in that kind of setting where you can hear other women go, oh, God, that's me too. (laughs) It would be fabulous. I think that's a brilliant idea. I started that last year. It wasn't my idea. I actually uh, uh, learned that from Australasian Lifestyle Medicine Association. Uh, That's a group of health professionals in Australia and New Zealand and one part of Asia as well who are embracing lifestyle medicine, which is basically, yeah, lifestyle medicine. So I adopted that, and it's actually new in Australia, but it's quite uh, not that new in UK and America. So it's a very good model for lots of other things as well. But I find, uh, especially in my passion, which is perimenopausal health, it works very well because of the same reason that you said, you know, we all suffer in silence. We think we are the only one and everyone else gets it. And then we just need to uh, somehow compete in that strange new situation. But in that group setting, we actually realize we are all in this together. And it's just really understanding what's it's all that about and how we can transition. And we can transition very healthy, wiser, and healthier and smarter. And I know that. <laughs> Thank you, Ivana. All of your contact details will be on the website and in the show notes that go with this episode. Thanks so much for being a guest. You've actually—I know you said fear of public speaking. You've done a great job. Thank you. Thank you, Karen, very much for inviting me for this, uh, and it was lovely to talk to you. And thank you for giving me opportunity to talk about something that I'm very obsessed about. <laughs> We need more of you in the world. Thanks, Ivana. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Life After Menopause. We look forward to talking to you next week. Make sure you connect with us on social media and click on the subscribe button so that you don't miss another episode. See you next time.